Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 5 of Out With Susie Ruffle. It's um, it's quite early in the morning, which, if my voice sounds a bit croaky, I'm sorry. Um, obviously these days I've got to find pockets in the day where the house is quiet enough for me to record the pod. So it's currently before 7 on Saturday morning and incredibly the little lady is still sleeping. So I thought I'd nip into the cupboard and do the top and tail of uh, of this week's episode, which is a really brilliant one, and one that I've been trying to get in the diary for ages with Jake, and I really hope that you enjoy it. I think he has so many interesting things to say, and I think he's such an inspiring guy, and it was just wonderful to spend an hour with him. So I, ju- I know that you're going to enjoy it. There's that croaky voice. Um, as ever, I will share some listener emails. Um, I've met quite a few of you lately, it seems. People have copped me after shows and said how much they enjoy the podcast. Um, or I've, I met one person in a bar, which was very nice that they came over and said hi. Um, it really means a lot to me how much this podcast means to people. And I'm really thrilled that people are enjoying it so much. And we've got this collection of people that listen every single week and love the show. And it just, I really appreciate it. And I love making it. And I love that I'm putting out sort of this positive podcast about our experiences. So thank you. Thank you for everyone that gets in touch or says hello or sends a tweet about the show or an Instagram message. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Lots of you enjoyed Zoe's episode last week as well. So I'm really thrilled about that. You've got to try her cookbook. It's so great. And also, if you're interested in my main job, which isn't being a podcaster, it's being a stand-up comedian... Um, I think I mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again. On Friday, my Amazon Prime special went live and you can now stream it. Lots of people have already been in touch with me saying how much they enjoyed it. Um, It feels very exciting to have a special out there in the world talking about a whole host of things, talking about, um, you know, growing up and being me and working out how to be happy and being married. And it's... Yeah, I'm just really thrilled it's out in the world. And I think it's funny. And I think it's a good example of what I do. Um, You know, I'm sure some people will get in touch to let me know they don't think it's funny. But I'm really, really proud of it. And yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. So it's on Amazon Prime. If you just put my name into the sort of search bar, it comes up. And I really hope that you enjoy it too. It was such fun recording it. I'm also going back out on tour in sort of September, October time, I think. And I'm really excited about taking a new show on the road. I'm doing lots of previews and getting the show ready. I think I'm going to do a little run at the Soho Theatre before I go out on tour, but I'll put that all on my socials. Yeah, that's the main story. The Amazon special's out. I'm very excited. Please watch it. I hope you enjoy it. And also I'm going on tour later in the year. Okay, let's share some listener emails. Hi Susie, I love listening to this podcast and your other podcast with Tom Allen. Clang. I would like to share my story. If you choose to read it out, I hope it gives people hope that things do get better. I came out when I was 20 in the early 1990s while at university. The age of consent was still 21 for gay men. My friends were fantastic, however, my parents did not take it well at all. I had written them a letter, yes, I'm so old that the internet hadn't been invented. I was a student teacher and came home from teaching practice to find my parents in my bedroom. The short version ends with them telling me they would rather me be dead than gay. 
We didn't speak for a few months and they threatened to cut off my university funding. But I want people to know that bad reactions to coming out may not last forever. People say things in the heat of the moment that they may not mean. My parents soon came around and became 100% accepting. It's now 30 years later and we are closer than I could have ever expected. To show how different things are now, I'd like to tell you about the last six months. At the end of the summer, I became very ill very quickly. I had lost a lot of weight, I had no appetite, and I was in quite a lot of pain and was sleeping for almost 24 hours a day. Without the support and help from my parents, I would not have made it through. I had test after test at the hospital, and it took a long time to diagnose me. Eventually, I was diagnosed with HIV. I told my best friend as soon as I came out of the hospital, and I told my parents as soon as I got home. They have been absolutely wonderful. No judgment and just full of support. I'm still not back at work full time, and without them, I don't know how I would have been able to take the time to get back to full health. The good news is the HIV virus is now at undetectable levels, which means I can't pass it on. My appetite is back and my energy levels are rising. So for those who are having a tough time coming out, there is no way that I could have imagined my parents accepting my HIV status when I was 20. But people change and evolve. Things can definitely get better. And that's from Chris. Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that's such an important point. People do change, people do grow, people do evolve. Sometimes people's first response is not their best response. And I'm so thrilled to hear that your energy levels are rising, your appetite's back, and you're starting to feel better. I am sending you so much love and I hope that things just continue to improve for you. Hello, Suze. I think that you and Al have the perfect podcast recipe. Thank you so much. Educational, emotive, emotional and entertaining. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Apologies as I'm a latecomer to the party. I've just listened to my first few episodes about. I started with the Rev Richard Colds episode. Very pertinent to me as my own grandfather was a C of E gay vicar. Not openly gay and married to my grandmother for over 50 years. He was a Victorian, born just before Queen Victoria died. So you can imagine that his situation and that of his immediate family before and after marriage would not have been an easy one. He died in 1977 when I was nine years old. Therefore, the queer world had not evolved enough by then. I would dearly love to be able to use that telephone call you mentioned at the end of your podcast in a slightly different way. To be able to phone my granddad to say all sorts of things, obviously but to be able to tell him that the world is finally heading in the right direction and letting us all be who we are. It would seem so alien to him, but I'm sure very important for him to know. Keep up the good work with out and like-minded friends. And that's from R. Thank you so much for this email. I wish that you could have that phone conversation with your granddad as well. Um, I think it's important to know how far we've come. Yes, we still have a long, long way to go, absolutely, but things are improving scary time you know for some of our american listeners i'm sure and obviously there's countries around the world where homosexuality is yet to be decriminalized and you know there's somewhere it's still punishable by death but you know in some places things have improved greatly you know i'm a gay woman that's married with a kid you know if i could ring a lesbian from 100 years ago i think she'd uh yeah be very surprised this is how far it's come but we still have a journey to go on and that's why it's so important that we make sure that we you know stand shoulder to shoulder with our our friends in the community that don't yet have as much equality as us gay and lesbian people do but thank you so much for that email i really loved receiving it thank you thank you and thank you for saying nice things about the pod hey susie i'm doing three this week because they're three short ones hey susie i say that like we're friends and we catch up weekly and have done so for years now that's what it feels like with your podcast we are friends we do catch up weekly it's just very one-sided which is actually very rude of me i'm very sorry i thoroughly love them for all different reasons ranging from loving the people you interview learning and expanding my understanding of the community and also meeting being introduced to new wonderful human beings and that includes you thank you i started listening to your podcast whilst i was having my infusions or if my ms was playing up and i was having vision issues but now i listen to them automatically each week your podcasts have been wonderful for me a lot of people's journeys have resonated with me and it's been quite a cathartic experience. This week, my stepmother-in-law took me to see Jojo, that's Johannes Redaway, in his spectacular show, Freedom, in Torquay. I thought he was amazing on Strictly and then fell in love with him when you interviewed him. But I properly saw what a pure and wonderful person he was this week. It was his birthday. And when everyone sang happy birthday to him, he turned around and thanked his team and everyone else. 
like you, there's been a lot of people that you've interviewed where I thought, oh, I'd love to be friends with them. Obviously, you're at the top of the list. <laughs> I've been a massive fan of yours for years, and I was lucky enough to see you at the Roses Theatre in Tewkesbury with the panto background. My wife heckled, it's behind you. I've enclosed a photo from Instagram from back then. I was supposed to see you again in Ivy Bridge, but unfortunately, my silly MS had other ideas. I'm hoping you'll be back in Devon again soon with your tour. Please keep being wonderful as you are, and I look forward to catching up again next week. My turn to get the coffee. Take care, and that's from Bex. Um, I remember that gig. I remember being on top of um, on top of a panto musical, and you've enclosed a little photo. Oh, look at me smiling pre-pandemic. No idea what's around the corner. I love Jojo as well. He's so brilliant. I was so disappointed I didn't get to see Freedom, but hopefully he'll do another one because he's just so brilliant. What a great guy. Um, and I loved that interview with him. If you haven't listened to that one yet, it's definitely worth going back and listening to it. And thanks for coming along to the show. Thanks for saying all those kind of things about the podcast. And I'm sorry that you missed the one when I was meant to be in Ivory Bridge because of your MS. Um, I am going to be coming to Devon again soon. Why don't you drop me an email and let me know which date you can come to and I'll give you and your wife a couple of tickets to come along. It's not fair that you had to miss out. So um, get in touch when those dates go on sale and I'll get you a couple of complimentary tickets. That's only right. Um, okay, let's get on with today's conversation. It's with the brilliant Jake Graff. I really hope you enjoy it. And um, if, you, if you do, share, tell your friends, pass it on to people. I'd really appreciate that. Oh, and also like and review. Apparently that's really useful. Okay, here is my conversation with Jake. Hello, listener. I'm very excited for today's guest. You should be too. Jake Graff is an international multi-award winning director, writer and actor. You might have seen him in The Danish Girl, Colette, or in the viral hit Headspace. Jake is also widely considered to be the most visible trans man in the UK, using his platform to give a voice to the trans male community. He speaks internationally on trans issues, particularly in relation to the media. In 2015, he was invited to the first trans-specific event at the White House and the following year was invited to present at Speaker's House in Westminster. He is also a husband, married to Hannah Graff, MBE, and a dad to Millie. Jake and Hannah's journey to parenthood as a trans couple was documented by Channel 4 in Our Baby, A Modern Miracle, which saw Hannah and Jake navigate the highs and lows of fertility, IVF and surrogacy in the time of COVID. Unfortunately, but not surprising, they also received some prejudice and small-mindedness. However, for any of us that watched the documentary, you would have seen a loving and strong couple doing anything that they could to become parents. As a queer parent myself, and I'm sure many of you listening will know, becoming a parent for us is a lot of work and sometimes a lot of heartache. After watching this documentary, I don't know how anyone couldn't have thought, wow, this little girl was so wanted and she is going to be so loved. What a joy to have him on the show today. Hello, Jake. Hiya. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. How are you? Very well. How is your baby's sleep? Baby, she's getting a lot better. I mean, baby now, she's two. For months, she was waking up at 5am or 4.30 mm-hmm. and it was pretty rough. And mm-hmm. she's now sleeping. I mean, this morning she slept till 10 to 7. Oh, so that was quite that's wonderful. a dream yeah, scenario. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's getting better all the time. So when she's teething, she's not great. And she seems to be teething a lot of the time. <laughs> but, yeah. But largely all good. Or having a nursery cold. Oh my God, I mean, that's just permanent snot pouring from every orifice. (laughs) Um, But then obviously we've got number two due June the 1st. That's so exciting. Yeah, so we're starting it all over again. So all these like, you know, we're like, yeah, we're getting there. Millie can come out and have dinners with us now. And we sit in a restaurant. It's all quite nice, apart from tearing around and screaming occasionally. And now we have to start all over again with a baby who will be a baby, a real yeah. baby and newborn and night feeds and all of it. And we're both a bit terrified, I have to say. But excited? Oh, God. More than anything? Wildly so. Um, and hopefully this one will not be born in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it feels like it feels like you're going to be okay this time. Yeah, well, t- touch, 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 with, touch with. There touch is some wood panelling in this studio. <laughs> Thank God. So let's let's both touch it. Often in this podcast, we do it sort of chronologically. What were you like as a child? Different stuff like that. But I watched the documentary when it came out, and then I watched it again last night because I was like, oh, I'm going to meet Jake. I better like watch it again <laughs> so that up. I'm really across it. Yeah, exactly. Swat up. And it was. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Does it feel a lot to you like you are? Oh, God, I've got so many questions. That you are like real trailblazers in this respect? Are you constantly asked about being the first trans couple to do this? The first trans couple thing is 
ridiculous and it's trailing around afterwards and, it, and it, I know it enrages a lot of the trans community unfortunately of course we're not the first anything you know mm. that when, when I get I'm the first trans actor to have done a feature film or Hannah's the first I mean in all fairness you know to Hannah Hannah was the highest ranking transgender officer in the British military but she wasn't the first she was just the no. first who was accepted and who was very fortunate yeah. and who maintained her position as opposed to being dishonourably discharged because yes. she was transgender we are not the first trans parents by any means we may possibly probably and that's only down to money and again how privileged and fortunate we are be the first to have used a surrogate to have a baby right but that's because most trans people as we know are struggling to get their hormones and their surgeries and pay for life you know mm -hmm. i think we still are the lowest earning demographic out there yeah i'm um, certainly one of and so most people can't afford the 50 odd thousand pounds <laughs> that we've plowed into having millie yes um and then number two so you know we're by no means the first but we are really, really lucky that we have had family support the whole way through, that we've had friends support for the whole way through. And, you know, as we always say, if you support a trans person, you make them feel that it's OK to be them from the beginning. Just like if you support someone gay or lesbian or queer or yep. non-binary, then they will go on to do well and flourish because you're never making them feel like they're lesser or like they can't achieve everything that normal and I'm using yeah, little yeah. quotation marks, quotes, normal, guys, quotes. usual people yes. um, can achieve without that, you know, that societal sort of, oh, you're going to be less because you are less and you're other. So, you know, for us, it, it's just we have been very, very fortunate to have the platform and the visibility and the voice that we've got. And if that can help other people, then amazing. Obviously, it will help people in the trans community and in the queer community. But I also think just people just seeing that you and Hannah are normal people. Quotation marks. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. But you know what I mean? Like just going, oh, they're a couple. They're, they're just a couple. That's what we hope for. Yeah. You know, when we first started, you know, we, we've been dating for six and a half years now, which say dating, sorry. <laughs> you mean together. you are married, you know yeah. that, don't you? I've seen the pictures. Shh, I've got <laughs> commitment issues. We've been together nearly six and a half years. And when we first started to get, you know, I already had a platform on social media from my filmmaking and so on. Yes. And so it was sort of, quietly and reluctantly you know almost nervously that we started sort of being together on social media but almost instantly we got such an outpouring of love because people saw again this word yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah, yeah yeah they just saw a couple and they saw love and they I guess again you know Hannah and I are both fairly binary and so we we looked like the acceptable face of trans a man and a woman it was all yeah. okay and we got outpourings of support and kindness and and hope from the trans community saying you know i see you and i think that i can find love and i can be with yeah. someone i'm not going to be alone forever and then from the rest of the community and from the sort of broader worldwide community we got a lot of people just saying you know it's so nice to see you being happy and it's so nice for my trans child or my yes. trans neighbor's child you know it really it felt like people hadn't previously seen trans love yeah. before which is terrible you know considering again trans people have been loving for decades and millennia yeah as i mentioned before we started recording you know part of the reason that i started this podcast is because i like to put out positivity is sort of what I do in my stand-up as well and that I, I like to put hopefulness out there and I think that yeah I was saying before about like you know it's great seeing lesbians and I feel like there's not that much lesbian content but I mean as a trans person you're really like searching everywhere so I can only imagine that you and Hannah are just people are like yes it exists it's here it's possible yeah which must be so oh just so reassuring and fulfilling and yeah just fill people with hope which is a wonderful thing that you guys do that's why we're out there I and mean, obviously you know of course we enjoy having a social media presence we enjoy having a voice so i'm not yeah. going to say we do it solely for everybody else but i know growing up i had no no one to look up to mm -hmm. there were no trans men i mean even now yes there are no trans men really in the, in the british media in the u.s media it's slightly different but still there are a handful um and it's just always been the way that trans men are just less exciting visually <laughs> so you know when it comes to film and stuff you'll see a lot less trans men because on screen you know i think people who are casting trans they want to show that they're casting trans right. and so you know more often than not a trans woman will read more trans again air quotations yes on, know, on yes. screen and a trans man if i'm on screen most of the time people don't know and so it's just less and also you know trans women have had more of a voice have fought more of our battles have been at the forefront have really blazed those trails you know i lived 30 years of my life as a lesbian and, mm. and was a big part of that community but i knew all along that that wasn't who i was so when i transitioned you know i'd been kind of conditioned 
as a woman my whole life, you know, to be quiet and, you know, mm-hmm. just do things quietly under the radar, yeah. not be heard, not be seen. You know, I was part of the lesbian community, which, as we all know, is fairly invisible. <laughs> you know, I used to work at the candy bar, that little tiny bar. I remember. In a sea of the men's bars. Yes. Yeah, I remember candy bar. And then, you know, you, you come out as, as trans male and it sort of feels like you're even less visible or even, you know, yeah. you're expected to all of a sudden you've got male privilege, but you kind of don't because you don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So it's a strange feeling to sort of come out and and be a trans man in, in the landscape that hasn't really changed much in the last few decades. But it does mean for those young trans men coming out, you know, the, the kids that we work with at Mermaids, which yeah. is the charity that helps gender non-conforming and trans kids in the UK, that, you know, those young trans men see me or see other men like me and are like, there is hope I can be me I can be everything I want to be and I can be a dad and I can be a parent and I can be you know a a husband and all of those things so you know for us it's been we've been very very lucky and you know Hannah for the same you know she's really kind of shown that trans women can be again it's it's going into that that horrible normal word but can be mums and can get married and all of those things whilst holding down a job yeah absolutely being a working mum, yeah, you know that's that's part of it. You you mentioned before about not having any representation as as a young trans guy. You know, you mentioned before you a number of trans people that I've spoken to have had a couple of comings out, and I've got friends who who identified as lesbians previously, and now they're trans guys, or were always trans guys, but they previously identified as a lesbian. And I don't know. Did you feel that there was as like a a, a younger person, maybe even preteen? Did you see that there was anyone at all like you that you could grab at or was it just nothingness? No, you know, I grew up in the 80s under Section 28. Mm -hmm. It's pretty grim. My parents, I mean, in all fairness to my mum, who now is one of my biggest champions, Mm. my parents would say to me, there was a gay pub at the the top of our street called The Champion and they would say, you know, just walk straight past, keep your head down, don't look. And so it was, you know, that's what I grew up with, that, Mm -hmm. you know, queer was bad and, and that... You know, I mean, trans, the word transgender wasn't even used. I think it was transsexual and yeah. it was never a good transsexual. Yeah. And so I would look in the books I read and the cartoons after school and, you know, anywhere for someone like me. But there was just, there were no trans people in the media at all that I saw. In fact, the first time I ever saw even a trans male storyline was Boys Don't Cry in 98. Yes. Which is Horrific. the most heartbreaking yeah. film in the world. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the story of a young trans guy called Brandon Tina who lived in Nebraska and transitioned so societally anyway because yes. he couldn't have all his surgeries because yeah. of cost and because of what was available and uh, was eventually murdered in a horrific way and that's the first you know this was a, a film role played by Hilary Swank yeah so obviously not a man <laughs> way back when you know trans stories just weren't told and it was so groundbreaking she won the Oscar for yeah. it because you know why not but I, that was the first time I ever saw a trans man on screen and it honestly I think put me off transitioning for about a decade really it was, yeah, it was all I mean it was awful well of course it was of awful. course yeah, and I, I totally understand that. Yeah, I remember that film having quite a profound effect yeah, on me. Horrific. Because it was, yeah, just so terrible. I mean, th- this is why it's so important to see real people living real lives mm-hmm. who are happy, who are successful. I don't use the term in terms of like, you know, career-wise success. No. I'm talking about successful just living, yes. staying alive, getting through, you know, being proud of themselves at some point yeah, in their lives. Home, so, you know, friendship. It's, yeah. You know, relationships, you know, those things are successes. It's not all the money in your bank and health Abs- and you're, absolutely. you know, you're doing something publicly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did you ever feel like well, when you sort of came out as a lesbian, did you think, oh, yeah, I found my gang here? Or did you always feel like you were sort of a square peg trying to get into a round hole? I mean, I, yeah, from the age of two, two and a half, I would tell my mum and dad every day that I was a boy. I knew I was a boy from a very, very early age. Right. It was just something I knew. As soon as I could speak, I felt very wrong being called a girl's name and being called she and her. It's It's weird because even back then, you know, I was tiny, but... You know, first uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day cards that I would make for them at four or five years old, I'd sign boys' names and kind of went on doing that until I was about eight or nine when I realised that wasn't okay. Um, But I, you know, for me, it was... It was uh, 10 years, I guess, of being told, no, that's wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're not who you know yourself to be. As a little child in your formative years, mm. that's obviously quite detrimental yeah, to your feelings sure. of self-worth, self-confidence, all of that. And after a while, as I say, like all queer people, you learn to squash it down. Unless you're one of those wonderful, incredible, fabulous kids who are like, I'm me and, you know, yeah. this, is, this is who I am. And, and now you see that a lot more and that's wonderful. But at the time... 
when there's no one else like you, it's really hard to, to kind of maintain that that strength when everyone is telling you, no, you're not a boy, you're a little girl, don't be silly, you know, yeah. stop this nonsense. Stop. And then it became problematic and it was causing so many problems and arguments with my parents and having to be bribed into dresses and, you know, we'll give you three miles bars if you smile, we'll give you four miles bars if you smile. And, yeah. you know, it was just, it was so painful and traumatic that I think by the time I reached 15, 16, desperate to belong somewhere, everyone had sort of banged into me that I was a woman. I knew I was attracted to women. So I thought, well, I must be a lesbian. I'd seen mm. Desert Hearts and various other great films. And uh, Desert Hearts had a massive effect on me. And I was madly in love with Patricia Charbonneau, who is, you know, I don't know if you've seen Yeah, I've seen it years ago. So I thought, well, that's who I am, obviously. And kind of, you know, I think at 16, I went out to the candy bar for the first time. And all of a sudden, there were lots of women admittedly or maybe they're not anymore but these very butch women in this bar and I thought well that's kind of maybe who I must be yeah. because there's nothing else that I can What's relate the other to option? yeah and so I became you know by I think I'm probably on my 18th birthday I was already working there and then I became a massive part of that scene and and it was yeah it felt like family it felt like belonging it felt very much like them and us the only problem was that the them and us I didn't really feel I was one of the us I felt more like one of the them but I still felt you know it was there there was a you know there was inclusion there and there was a fight and there was solidarity and there was yeah so yes is the answer I did feel very much part of that but I knew at the back of my mind that at some point there was going to be a jumping off point and that yeah. was only in fact when I moved over to, to New York when I was 25 and for the first time in my life saw another trans man in the flesh in the lesbian scene obviously in New York right and this this young guy was like the mascot this he was always out I kept thinking why is this guy always out with us this little guy Nico who I in fact still know and still talk to quite regularly and one night we we kind of ended up having a drink after hours and he was like yeah I'm trans and I used to be a part of this community and you know I, I see me and you and would you like to talk and I was like oh my god oh, and it was wow. amazing and he talked to me through everything you know the surgeries the hormones the societal differences and so on and Honestly, at that point in my life, I was in a pretty dark place. And I think genuinely this this guy saved my life. So, you know, honestly, it, this is why I say you cannot be you if you can't see you. Yes. And it's just so important to be seen for all of us. You yeah, know. for sure. When he said, I'm trans, did he, was it like a light bulb moment for you? Or was it like, oh, thank God, there's someone else. I mean, it was, it was honestly, at that point in my life, I was drinking heavily mm. I was doing all sorts of terrible other things substance wise and mm. you know f by that point it had been effectively two decades plus of f just misery of feeling miserable puberty was horrific mm -hmm. my relationships with my family by then had all, all but kind of broken you know that my father died when I was 18 and we hadn't spoken in years by age 25 it was awful and my mum and I weren't talking I'd gone off to New York and we'd barely said goodbye it was it could not have been worse and when I met him and he and I saw that he was supported and he had a job and he had love and he was very much you know a part of this community still this, this sort of broader and New York queer community and he gave me hope for the first time and that was it you know it was I, that was all I needed I was desperately at that point I just needed someone to say it's going to be okay your life isn't always going to be drink and drugs and, mm -hmm. and, and horror and he made me feel like it was going to be alright and so when I came back to the UK about three or four months later I was all guns blazing I'm going to do this and they looked around and realised oh my god there's no trans people here still because we are about a decade behind we certainly were then but then you know after about a year of much more alcohol I thought I just can't do this anymore and so I my poor old mum who I'd already come out to as a lesbian by then so she'd sort of made her peace with that mm -hmm. And then I said, no, I just, you know, I've always been a man and I've always, I told you this since I was about two, three years old and you know this. And she was like, well, yes, I just, I thought it was just a, a phase. Yeah. <laughs> Not a phase. Yeah. Um, and she, the first thing she said was, you know, what are we going to do about this? And it was that, knowing that I had my mum's support that made everything okay because you know she really has been the whole way through mm. at all my medical appointments, at my surgeries, at my moving right down the chronological line at my egg harvesting you know yeah she's been amazing and and you know we saw her yesterday and she's still you know she'll say my 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 son and she's very proud of me now and um you know it's again just having that support that made everything all right i think as well the story of like trans people and queer people being accepted mm. by their family is also something that we don't hear yeah. enough of it's just so often assumed yep that it's a sad story. And I think for parents of trans people who are maybe having a bit of a journey 
to understanding, mm. you know, which maybe isn't perfect, but, you know, that's that happens sometimes. And seeing other parents saying, yeah, I, yeah. I've navigated that journey and now we're yep. here and we're happy yep. is such a... Because that was a lovely part of the documentary when Hannah's mum and dad come because she's getting her MBE and her dad said, oh, I, I tried my best to do the trans colours with his shirt. Yeah. And you just think that's... And he gets really choked up talking about her. Yeah, And you just think, oh, that's such such a great thing to be in the world yeah i mean there's that yeah there's that scene where where good old brian winterborn says you know i i'm ashamed to say that when hannah came out i was ashamed of her yeah and and now i you know even thinking back on that makes me furious with myself and now i'm so proud of her Mm. and it's just it's you know we all i think worry for our kids you know as a parent now i worry for for what millie will want to do when she's older but i know that all you need to do is just support your child regardless and it's difficult because I think a lot of parents when their kid comes out as gay or lesbian or trans they struggle because they're worrying about the safety of their child they're Mm -hmm. worrying about the happiness of their child they're worrying about their child's future in terms of career and love and relationships and will I ever walk my child down the aisle will I ever have a grandchild all of these things that it's your own dreams tied up in that as well and I totally get why it's tough for parents when everything you've got mapped up for your kid all of a sudden it's like oh hang on a minute <laughs> what you know the lgbt obviously strikes fear into your into people's hearts because of the way that we're represented in the media and you know the fact that we're portrayed as lesser and and no one wants that for their child you know people want their kids to be happy but i think from my experience you support your child they'll be everything you want them to be yeah I couldn't agree more. And all the work that you do sort of within the media and within filmmaking is so much of it is, you know, across sort of LGBT plus stuff that, you know, those stories getting out and they are slowly seeping out Mm. into society that people will see that queer and trans and however you identify, you know, all people can succeed and Mm. can be successful, happy. Because that's what real success is, isn't it? It's happiness. Yeah, yeah. something that Hannah and I speak about a lot and something that Hannah and I struggle with is as we know even within our own community and I'm speaking of the broader LGBTQIA community there's still a lot of maybe not a lot but but there are still divisions Mm -hmm. and I still don't understand how someone who has lived as as a lesbian and come out and felt that feeling of otherness and felt that feeling of you know idiots on the street saying oh you just have another right penis love you know the right man all that that those that some of those same women can then turn around and say that trans kids are wrong mm-hmm. and that p- trans kids shouldn't be supported and that trans kids shouldn't have access to societal transition and to potentially puberty blockers and to those things that afford them the same childhood that they probably wish that they'd had yes. as lesbian or gay people i that's something that i really struggle with because i i know we're all othered and I know that there is a fear that, you know, with trans kids, oh, but, you know, I felt like a boy when I was young and now I don't and I'm happy as a woman. Therefore, these kids shouldn't be allowed to, you know, they're not old enough. I mean, I knew from age two. And if someone had said to me at 14 or 13 when puberty started, we can stop this and stop those changes that made me, I mean, I couldn't look in the mirror. I would punch myself in the chest and strap my chest down and pray to God that all these changes would stop. And I know that that is true of most young trans kids mm. because most of them know themselves. They know who they are. Yeah. And when you've spent over a decade warring with your parents to be heard, it's not an easy thing to yeah. do as a small child. Yeah. I really don't understand those those people at the other side of the community, the LGB, who don't have the empathy that they hoped for as children for trans kids you know whatever certain (laughs) children's authors may be putting out there on their large twitter platforms that being trans being trans is like a conversion therapy for healthy gay kids Mm. and lesbian kids i don't understand how anyone can believe that 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 anyone can believe that a parent would think well this is a gay child and i don't want a gay child so i'm Ah. gonna i'm gonna make them transition so they can so they can have an easier life is just to me absolutely yeah. mind-blowing but i know unfortunately a lot of people believe it and the more that the media pushes it the more that yep. children's authors <laughs> push it you know these children's authors who have vast knowledge obviously of what it is to transition yeah it's a scary place when our little community who are being attacked from all sides particularly over here in the u.s at the yep. moment it feels should be fractured in the way that we've lost the empathy for for each, each other. other's experience totally and like you know, I knew I was a lesbian from pretty early on. And I think there was probably a moment where I was like, I 
I'd quite like to be a boy. And then was like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Like I was quite, in, in a way that I'm sure loads of cis straight girls were like, what my brother's doing looks like fun. Yeah, totally. You know, there seems to be a lot less societal pressure on him <laughs> to conform. You know, but I think that I always knew that I was a girl. Yeah. And, and I just don't buy it. I just yeah. don't buy that. Well, you know, then we would all be made to transition. You're like, no, I wouldn't because yeah. I like dressing. I like, you know, I like how I dress. I like this. I like that. I like the sort of quirky girly way that I looked even as a teenager. Mm. I didn't mind that, you know, and I wanted to do certain, you know, societal girly things sometimes, <laughs> you know, but I always was very attracted to girls. But I think that. I'm just, I mean, I'm echoing what you it said. It is largely the media. This is the, yeah. the problem is, is that if you read certain newspapers yeah. whose names I will not mention because they're not even worth mentioning but there's you know large swathes of the media that every week or every day will put out articles you know of these people that God knows where they are these kids that are being forced into transition yeah. that are rushed through the gates of the Tavistock that are you know given hormones at three and four yeah having spoken and worked extensively with those kids and their families and it's it's also you know quite sort of noticeable you never hear from those kids and you never hear from their families you hear from people talking about them with no real human yeah. knowledge of what these kids are going through but i know that these young people are begging they are desperate they are put through made to jump through hoops and they are assessed over and over and over and even when these kids are begging at sort of 12 and 13 and the physical changes that they're dreading are happening mm-hmm. and they're still saying please can we get those blockers quite often they're not given them yeah. and then voices break and breasts grow and periods start and yeah. all those horrific things that these kids are so scared of and that really affect their mental health in ways that they you know a lot of them just don't get over and a lot of them end up self-harming and a lot of end up taking their own lives and all these kids are asking for is to have that childhood to be allowed to live in in their skin and feel comfortable in themselves and all that the media is telling you please when if you're one of those people who's reading it and thinking trans kids are being shoved into this by parents or medical professionals or anybody else family doctors then please remember that you know you are getting a very skewed perception yeah. of it and, and perspective of it and unless you're seeing one of these trans people in these storylines or a parent saying you know my, my child has flourished since yeah. they were given that help that, yeah then please think twice before you just believe because honestly it's just not the case and i think the misinformation is so prevalent. Yeah. You know, the, well, if you have puberty blockers, it means that it's going to, like, all it really does is, like, press a pause button. Yeah. Right? Like, it just pauses things, and then if you took them, your, what would the right word be, Jake, your your natural puberty mm-hmm. of the, yep. you know, that that would just begin. Mm. Right? It's, it's like, na- I think, is it called a natal puberty? I so, think yeah. So, yeah. I've probably got the, Absolute, the terminology no, no, right. abs- Absolutely. And then everything starts. Yeah. But most of these young people don't want that to start most of these young people will have the the blockers and will think I've got a few years now to actually just enjoy being myself without that fear that dread that terror that I felt every single day as more changes happen and you know I mean for me in the future it was I knew it would just mean well at the time I didn't know what it meant because I was because there was no resources or information Mm. or internet but you know these kids know that it means that they're going to have lots of painful surgeries that they're going to have lots of painful reversals of all of this and you know for those people that talk about the cost of trans healthcare on the NHS you know I can assure you that with the blockers there'll be a lot less cost on trans healthcare because these kids won't need to have those costly surgeries just to feel themselves and just to feel comfortable in their bodies so the whole thing as you say it's misinformation a lot of it you know I don't want to use the word lies but a lot of it is just anti-trans propaganda and lies unfortunately and you know having seen all these young people it is very, very unusual to have a young person who's been given blockers who says, that wasn't for me. And yeah. if they do say that, great. But that's the thing. If someone detransitions, it becomes a story, but you'd never hear about, oh... The I, tens I, of thousands, yeah. of hundreds of thousands. Yeah. I mean, there are more and more of us now. You I'm know, sure. All those people yeah. are happy. You don't hear our stories. This is the problem. It's so rare to hear the stories of, I was given blockers. I'm now a well-rounded adult. Yeah. I don't have to have painful surgeries. Great. You know, yeah. you don't hear that because yeah. that doesn't sell papers. Oh, happy trans person. Yeah, 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 up, no. yeah. People want to hear about the horrors and the one detransitioner out of the hundreds and thousands of people who've successfully and happily transitioned yeah. and how, who, you know, when... We wouldn't when, stop marriage because divorce happens. Right? You know? You, I mean, you wouldn't stop open-to-heart surgery because one open-heart surgery operation hadn't gone well. Yeah. But this one detransitioner, everything stops. Mm. It's just, it, it, it is 
again, it's transphobia. You know, there is no other word for it, unfortunately. It is yeah. transphobia. And, uh, you know, what, what also, having spoken to um, mermaids recently, they are seeing a massive rise in um, calls to their helpline, which is great because what it shows is that prior to the last sort of decade, I guess, when there was zero visibility, trans people and trans young people didn't feel able to be themselves, didn't see a future for themselves. And I think a lot less of them, therefore, were coming out. Just like if you go back 50 or 60 or yep. 80 years, there were a lot less gay people out yep. there. We were, we were still there. They, they were all still there. Yeah. They were all still there. But they, there was that fear of, well, like, there, there's no one else out there like me. Am I going to yeah. be okay? Will I be stoned in the street? Yeah. Yes, most likely you would have been. <laughs> but like now we're seeing more trans people and these trans kids are talking to their parents. And luckily we're seeing a lot more parents who are accepting and trying to support mm -hmm. their kids. And so mermaids are seeing this massive spike. And obviously, again, that's twisted into, well, it's a trend, it's yeah. a fad, and it's YouTube, and it's the influence of the media. And actually... How can it be the influence of the media <laughs> when the media is always so negative about <laughs> trans people? The Honestly, the mental gymnastics that yeah. the transphobes have to do uh. to make their rhetoric work is just insane. And I mean, even down to little things like, so people like my wife, trans women, shouldn't yep. be in women's spaces. Well, that means I should with my beard and my quite clearly male physicality. Yep. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So they just don't talk about trans guys because yeah. if they do, then, then it throws the whole yeah, thing into... It's just nonsense, Susie. I know, I know. Well, I know that you, because you mentioned it to me, that you watched that documentary that I was part of, and the mental gymnastics that the, I mean, I've, 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 I'm still off Twitter because it was so oh, really? horrific. Yeah, it was really horrid. So you got attacked? Yeah, people were threatening to come to gigs, threatening violence, ruining a taping that I had coming up of really? a show. Like, yeah, really, but you can hate me. I don't. That's fine. Yeah, you can hate yeah. me. That's fine. And I know that I'm on the right side of history and I yeah. know that I'm speaking for my friends Absolutely. and that's okay. But it was the mental gymnastics that people were doing yeah. to come at me. In the end, my wife, like, I don't, she, I don't look at my Twitter anymore. Good. She just took my Twitter off of <laughs> it's me. Horrible. It's on her phone. Yeah. And I text her my tweets and she tweets them because she's just, just like, crazy. it's just bad for yeah. you. It's just bad for you. And you're so right. It's just this... You know, it, it's the media, but the media is negative. I just, I just don't know how someone couldn't go. Oh, I don't know what that feels like. I'll yeah. listen to someone that knows what it feels like. Yep. Oh, okay, now I understand how that feels. That must be hard. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll have some more compassion. It's such a simple yep. steps yep. <laughs> to get there. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this, but the way that people are reporting about trans people now is the way that people are reporting about largely gay men or yes. homosexuals yes. back in the 80s. Yes. And you could almost take out the word homosexual from all that writing and put yep. in transgender yep. and it would be exactly the same, yep. fear-mongering and horrible. And a lot of it is based around, as we know, bathrooms yes. and women's spaces yes. and whether or not, you know, scary trans women should be allowed into those spaces. I mean, those trans women have been in women's spaces, yep. I think, for well over a decade also I always think like do people not fucking realise there's doors on the toilets yeah, right. like I mean it's not like we all go in there and there's like a row of loos <laughs> next to each other like I wouldn't be massively into that regardless of who I was sharing with totally. like but this is the thing and I, I do say this often it's never been about bathrooms it's never been about toilets mm. we all know that if you go back 120 years and we were talking about people of colour going into white bathrooms and the white people saying, oh, no, I wouldn't want them in my bathroom because it's affecting my white rights. You know, it was never about their rights back then. It was about squashing down a minority, just as if you go back 80 years when, you know, gay men were going into men's, you know, normal men's yeah. bathrooms. It was, I don't want a queer standing next to me at the yeah. urinal. And now again, we've gone back to, I don't want a trans woman in my toilet space because it will affect my rights as a cisgender woman. Yes. It's never been about bathrooms. It's yeah. always about squashing down minorities yeah. and keeping them in their place. And for some reason, bathrooms <laughs> seem to really resonate as a, a kind of bartering tool and as a space to to kind of whip up yeah. those flames of hate and uh, unfortunately this is where we're at and a lot of it's come from the US because the yes. US is pretty toxic when it comes to that and getting worse I don't know if you're aware that at the moment parents who support their trans kids in, yes, Texas, in Texas are, are being investigated for child abuse yeah. well if the governor has his way yeah. and in Florida they're basically about to implement a, a version of section 28 Yeah, don't say gay in schools I mean I just put my head in my hands it's just so it just feels like we're going backwards, backwards. Which is so disappointing. However, I have to say, I have to say, when just because we mentioned that, that, that documentary that I was part of, 
overwhelmingly the people that got in touch were with me mm. overwhelmingly the people were with me and I got so many beautiful messages from people that have trans kids or that are trans themselves or part of the community or are not part of our community at all but are allies or didn't know something and then they've learned something and that was interesting we had a really good chat about that and that's yeah. good and it was really good to hear what you had to say but the, my favourite message that I got was from a lady that worked in the Marks and Spencer's bra department right. and she said to me um, really liked what you had to say I think you're absolutely right she said quite regularly I have a trans lady come in and oh, it's really? their first bra she said it's a joy of my job yeah. because I know how much that's going to mean to them yeah. and I take them around and I show them all the different things and they might be quite early on in their sort of societal transition mm. and she said you know and so she, and she sort of said something like you know so there are sort of little cis ladies like me who've been working in bra fittings for years who are there to support those women and I just thought yes you yeah. you exist and that's fantastic and you're you know how brilliant for those trans women that walk in and see this smiling face saying let me help you yep. like that's yeah there were good people out there I mean yeah. w- w- when we did the documentary we I have to say it was in the middle of lockdown anyway when it eventually came out and so there was a lot of anxiety anyway yeah. and I we all got caught up in that feel of, a feeling of anxiety I think and I worried that we were going to get a torrent of abuse yeah, when it right. came out and weirdly it, it happened and we went on social media and it was th- literally thousands of messages of support mm-hmm. and thousands, mostly to Hannah, I have to say, just saying, you know, you're, you're, you're going to make a wonderful mum. I haven't carried my own child. I wasn't able to. I had miscarriages. Yeah. I this, yeah. I that. You know, loads of messages talking to Hannah like that. And then I had a lot of trans guys messaging me and saying, you know, it's so wonderful. You've given me hope, hope. that I can one day be a dad. Yeah. And we just... We were, I mean, Hannah spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. She wouldn't be able to do it now. There was, you know, but the middle of lockdown, she just had the time to respond to all yeah, these right. hundreds and thousands of messages. And it was wonderful. And we were blown away. And, and since then, it's screened in places like Israel and wow. France, Italy, Belgium, Sweden, Norway, a lot of the world. And again, so many messages from people saying, you know, I, I'd never met anyone trans before. And it's in Australia as well. So we've had loads of messages on their version of Netflix called Stan. And we've had loads of messages from people saying, you know, saw your doco. <laughs> They're actually writing like that. Saw your doco. Never met anyone trans before. You know, you've made me rethink. Which Good for you. is yeah. that's that's all it is, is that people don't know and when the media's saying predator, mentally ill, yeah. blah blah, that's what you believe. Cause is it a heavy burden sometimes to be that voice of sort of because there's as we mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation there is a real lack of trans men in the media you know I know that Elliot Page has recently come out and he's doing wonderful things within the community but do you feel like oh, I need to keep talking about it or I must make films about it or is that a weight as well for you just to be Jake and just to be a dad and a husband and to make work I, I mean honestly genuinely Hannah and I feel very lucky. Yes, there are moments when it's exhausting. And yes, mm-hmm. you know, when we're looking at like Trans Day Visibility and we're giving like six different talks and yeah, right. you know, it can get busy. But we know how important it is and yeah. we know the difference it's making to the young folk. And we know, and not even just the young folk, you know, we get messages from much older trans I'm people sure. saying, you know, I never thought I could be me. I'm 62. What do I do? And we're like, just go, do it, yeah. be you, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, that is wonderful and we're very very fortunate again very very privileged to have a voice at all so no I don't think it ever can be a burden I think I'd be kind of quite churlish to say oh god yeah. it's so tough you know we're yeah. bloody lucky to yeah. have a voice and to make any kind of positive change and you know through and it's not just us there are loads of other trans people out there who are doing the same things yeah. and starting groups and charities and you know doing talks and, and all it is, is is just that you know there aren't enough of us I think we're 0.1% the population there aren't enough of us for everyone to know someone trans no. it's just not going to happen that's but why it, I get so angry with the transphobes because there's so right. few of you guys yeah. and there are so I mean, but you, 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 this is the thing though you know I don't want people to think that there are so many transphobes because I don't think they are there are and if you look at a lot of the Twitter yeah. horror that happens a lot of it is bots a lot of yeah. it is you oh, know, a so lot of it is nonsense much. you yeah. think wow the, the sort of barrage of like there must be hundreds of thousands everyone hates us actually I'm not sure that that's true no I think you're right I realised you know I've spoken a lot about being a trans ally often when I when they come for me like four different accounts about misogyny the same way incorrectly really? and I was like I don't think I think this is the same person yeah. <laughs> like I think you need to learn to spell misogyny <laughs> it's a hard word I get it I'm dyslexic but you know it's I, I think you're right I think most people are like oh okay yeah. just let trans people be like yeah. and it doesn't yeah. come into their day to day life unfortunately this is the problem is that with the, with the media and all the nonsense it does and this is you know when people can't avoid it in the newspaper and it is most days certainly in some of our Sunday broadsheets 
it, they're writing every single Sunday mm. at least one or two or three or four articles about trans people with no real knowledge or understanding just because that's what they think their readers want to read. Yeah. And I know people who read that paper and who just move past yeah. move past the hate because they're you know they, there are some papers that are quite good apart apparently for sports content <laughs> apparently. Right. but you know it is out there and it is very hard and this is why we are fighting an uphill battle not that we're not going to eventually get there but that it does feel a lot like an uphill battle because mm. those voices of the media and again as we know previously much loved children's authors with you know twitter platforms of uh, 14 million who you know even yesterday were at it again talking about you know nicola sturgeon putting in place laws that are going to directly impact on the rights of women and you know again luckily a lot of people jumping in to say you're talking nonsense yeah go and write a book <laughs> shut up yeah you know it's just it's a great shame that there are people that what is a great shame is that it feels like it's still okay for public figures to be transphobes in this day and age yeah. it feels like we are the last acceptable bigotry the last acceptable phobia mm-hmm. someone came up and said you know lesbians are all awful or gay men ugh, or yeah. muslims or jews or yep. there'd be a uproar but trans people it's it does feel like it's still very much okay to say oh i'm on that side yep don't yep. like them at all think they're all very bad yeah it's exhausting. <laughs> it is a bit. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Well, no, it's not. But I am sorry. We'll get there. We will. We will. We will. We'll do this podcast again when we're both in our 80s. Nice. And be I like, look forward to it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the final question that I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show is if you could sort of, I don't know, pick up the phone to a version of yourself or someone that's in a similar position. And maybe I'm thinking of that version of you that was talking to Nico in that bar in New York. To use your words, you were pretty low in mm. a pretty bad place. If you could reach out and give them some advice or put your arm around them, or like I said, someone that's listening that feels like they're in that place right now, mm. what would you say? I mean, if, if, for me, and this is what we say to sort of all trans people kind of coming out, you know, or who are about to come out and not even just trans people, LGBT people who are finding finding the first sort of versions of themselves or the first kind of glimmers of hope. You know, if you're going to come out and be yourself and and you're you're sort of ready for that, in some cases long overdue ready, you know, surround yourself with a good network, surround yourself, find a support system and they are out there. You know, mm-hmm. I know you can feel like you're so alone and you can think, well, there is no one who, you know, my, I know my family won't support me. I know my siblings won't support me. There are so many people out there ready to be your tribe. There are mm-hmm. so many people, you know, whether it's online groups or whether it's going down to your local gay, queer bar. Yeah. There are countless trans groups on Facebook and so on yep. will, you know there's a lot of support there there are obviously lots of charities for younger trans people and younger LGBT people just you know make sure before you go taking any big steps that you do have some support but just know that your tribe is out there and that you know your your chosen family can be just as powerful and just as strong and have just as close bonds as the family that potentially or possibly won't accept you and that there is hope and that you know you can be happy whether it's at 14 or or 65 you know there is still hope for you to kind of get out and start living your best happiest life thank you that was perfect that was the brilliant jake graff i really hope you enjoyed today's conversation my voice is now warmed up i'm sorry that i was so croaky at the top um you can join me again next week if you want to get in touch you always can the email is hello with and i'll be back next week with another brilliant conversation take care